G'day and welcome to the 17X podcast series. My name is Mick Hayes. Thanks for tuning in. I have the absolute pleasure of chatting with entrepreneurs, visionaries, and absolute change makers on how they're using their business as a force for good in the world. We align these conversations with the 17 Sustainable Development Goals, the UN's global goals for the 2030 agenda that we simply must achieve. And it's my firm belief that our business community is our best shot of success. If you're inspired by these conversations, you'll absolutely love our 17X speaking events that tour Australian cities. Jump over to our website, 17sdg.com, that's 17 the word, to find out when our events are coming to a city near you. But for now, sit back and enjoy the show, and don't forget to subscribe where you are listening to stay up to date with our future episodes. Welcome, Anthony, to the 17X podcast, mate. Good to have you here. Yeah, thanks, man. Great to be here. So, mate, uh, before we get into Tustar and, uh, you know, some of the other uh, projects, ventures and all sorts of things that you're involved with, I always like to just get a bit of, I guess, background on on our guests to let our audience know who we've got. So can you just give it, say, like a speed dating version, two to three minutes, where have you been through your career and what brought you through to what you're doing, you know, right now? Yeah, sure, mate. Uh, so I'm uh, CEO of a company called Green Gold Ventures. It's been set up primarily to provide opportunities for Australian um, climate tech companies to access global markets. And I guess the reason for me ending up in uh, that as a new startup is because I've been working in the clean tech space for probably 15 years. Back in uh, 2008, I started working in the renewable sector with a national solar retailer called Solar Shop, ended up CEO of an ASX listed company that had a manufacturing division, wholesale distribution division, and an engineering, what they call EPC project division, and got to spend a lot of time up in uh, uh, Korea, Japan, China, Malaysia, Germany. And I've yeah, been working in that clean tech space for, I guess, um, the last six years specifically. Um, and I guess before that, my previous life, I uh, was in advertising marketing. I ran my own digital agency up to 2006. So yeah, a bit of a blend of entrepreneurial uh, DNA, marketing discipline training, and uh, focus on trying to address the challenges in we've created for ourselves through some innovation and new technology. So um, what brought you from advertising, digital marketing across to, you know, clean tech? Was there an aha moment that you kind of went, all right, I want to go and, you know, work in this sustainable space or was it something that was always bubbling along? Well, we end up going straight to uh, depression, actually. <laughs> I... Uh... I uh, founded my own uh, business, uh, same time, you know, married, three kids, uh, living the dream, uh, grew the business from three to 30 staff. We were doing some great stuff and uh, found myself uh, wanting to pull off the road at the wrong point when there was a few uh, obstacles in the way. And uh, yeah, I diagnosed with clinical depression back in early 2000 and went through quite a self-discovery process of that I went the no drugs route really to try to find out what the fuck was yeah. going on and uh, and went through a whole 
bunch of what they call different modalities, but ended up really um, addressing the sustainability point of view from a personal point of view, taking responsibility for yourself. Um, I actually did a uh, permaculture, I don't know if you know, permaculture, PDC, permaculture design certificate, uh, got into sustainability through some consulting work, and then realised um, that, again, um, you need to have impact with this. And so that was, at the time, 2008 was the start of the rebate era for renewables. So there was big growth in solar. And, um, and, I, and I took a role as uh, GM sales and marketing with a, a client, a company that um, had a national footprint in the solar business. So. Yeah, right. Um, firstly, thanks for sharing that. Um, you know, that's, uh, you know, a personal journey and obviously going through that kind of self-discovery and, and um, you know, 30 staff is no mean feat. Like, that's obviously a big engine. So, um, going yeah, a lot of mouths to feed there, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah. You know, I don't, you know, the work that I do with living, you know, we, we um, it's a common conversation that comes out. So I think there's, there's certain... Uh, um, kudos that goes to people that are happy to talk about that on a podcast, mate. So, so firstly, thanks for that. I think, um, you know, looking at uh, jumping on the the solar, uh, you know, like you say, the rebates were kind of happening. Mm. Um, were you were you just focused on staying inside Australia? Like, how long did it take you to head over to Asia and see the the I guess the opportunity and the link up there? Well, well, I'd actually just come back, um, and again, that was part of that. Um, period where I was trying to work out which way to head and and yeah. certainly looking after yourself um, is an important part of it. So I, I went up to China in 2007 when I was still involved in the digital world thinking, you know, oh, wow, here's the um, Beijing Olympics coming up in 2008 and, hey, there's a whole bunch of Chinese uh, language companies that need to be communicating to a, a Western market. So I went up there as a, again, entrepreneurial endeavor and thinking that we could um, help build a few websites, but uh, they are a long way off, um, you know, entering into that world. So, so I sort of peeled back that um, activity and, um, and jumped and I thought, well, how, again, it was about, as I mentioned, how to have impact and, had, uh, there was a great company that was uh, based out of Adelaide, which was uh, just taken on some private equity investment that was Solar Shop, and we got to do a lot of cool stuff with them. You know, we actually first one of the first things I did with them was um, because we were scaling so fast, we we uh, had to train people, so we actually built a very um, uh, efficient what's called a learning management system in, intranet, so to train people up because. You didn't want people falling off roofs, and yeah, sure. and so we uh, that actual training program I think uh, ended up being taken on, picked up by the now national clean energy um, organizer, which is part of the training program for certification for installers. So yeah, wow. So uh, Adrian Ferrero was the founder of Solar Shop and really innovative guy, and he also was the one that set up Australia's first and now only still uh, solar PV manufacturing uh, facility. So it was a really interesting time. And however, it was still uh, rebate driven. So it, the economics was really funded by um, the incentives to actually stick system on. It wasn't, there was certainly the 
as much of an emotional appeal, but it was just um, the chance to people to make a buck if they put these panels on. But mind you, the panels at the time were almost, um, you know, five, six times the price that they are now. Yeah, sure. And so from the solar game, you then went into setting up Green Gold Ventures. Is that is that the transition? Oh, uh, there was, there was, well, there's a yeah a bit in between that. So I was so solar shop. Um, uh, this comes to what I talked about in on uh, at the uh, SD17X event. Um, there's a bit of resilience here. So solar shop actually went into administration. So uh, the company, the the guys that invested in it, tried to open up 17 branches across Australia and oh, wow. didn't work out whether one would play for itself. Yeah, right. um, and the, one of the companies that came to pick up uh, the the company in administration was a company called Solco. So that was a listed company out of Perth. And they were the ones I mentioned before. They had a manufacturing business that they were making Australian solar pumps. They were making uh, solar hot water systems. Uh, they had um, a really good national uh, distribution business for solar PV and inverters and uh, kit. And so we were doing some really cool stuff out in regional Australia with uh, solar um, pumping and, um, but all of the materials were obviously coming out of factories in Japan and Germany at that time. So I got, and Korea. And so I, with that role, um, we got to head up into market and do some factory visits. And we, and we actually picked up quite a few of the new manufacturers that were being established in China and were some of the first importers of some of those products. And, and it was really in, um, in that period where they doubled the global manufacturing capacity of, of solar PV that I saw the machine and the scale and the, the size of what was going up on up there. And in 2015 or 16, I, um, I actually, we did a merger and I got a bit of a payout. So I actually set up a company up in China and for about, you know, four or five years pre-COVID, I was spending three or four months a year up there focusing on um, the first product. I actually, Australian product I took into China was an Australian manufacturer of air purifiers. And, uh, and so that was a great experience. Uh, however, also demonstrated the, again, the size and speed of the market where Australian company really didn't adapt and um, and we had 100 competitors within a year. So And, and so, yeah, Green Gold Ventures is, I guess, the end result of me helping Australian companies get into the overseas, not just China, but Singapore, Malaysia, um, and, um, and also helping some of those overseas companies come into Australia. And so there's, there's a particular... Um, need and or approach of a blend of cultural awareness as well as you know capital structures and corporate structures so so that's really what we're trying to do with green gold ventures is is um is focus on those people that are interested in that market and interestingly uh from my experience i guess um my approach with Green Gold Ventures is actually working very closely with the migrant entrepreneurial community uh, who seem to be on the fringes of the innovation ecosystem. They, they um, Things aren't really curated to appeal to them as much. And so I've got quite a strong network in that um, market in Australia. And I'm 
I'm working with them to give give them access to opportunities. They they all want to create a future and a life in Australia, but they've got a bit of FOMO for what's going on in the growth areas of Asia. And so I feel that there's a really important role and opportunity there to um, to build up those uh, wealth creators of tomorrow, the, the the migrant community, and and to and to uh, I guess take some of Australia's great solutions into solve some global problems. Yeah, wow. Sounds sounds like a huge remit, right? You're kind of sitting in the middle of these two markets, and and obviously some of those Asian markets are quite massive. <laughs> um, how do you go about? I guess finding some of these partners to to bring them in, and or vice versa to bring Australian companies over there. Um, yeah, well, well yeah, that was again the reason why I've been I've been working with the Tuftar Group for about six years. Yep. So they're a they're a subsidiary of uh, Tsinghua University, which is the number one university in in China. They they developed a model. Again, this is all part of the industrial transformation that a lot of people outside of China don't see because of the media narrative. So, so there is a whole um, machinery underway, which is uh, addressing all of the environmental concerns, addressing the, the need for industries to clean up, addressing the need for new innovative, innovative solutions. And particularly because China's a, a, a technocratic society. So if, if, if you're a professor or any, you know, um, post-grad capacity, um, you've got respect up there. So, so Tuftar is the um is the is the what they call the garden, I guess, within which they nurture and support the innovation and entrepreneurship uh, for new ideas. And they work in areas of you know life sciences, education, digital, uh, but they've got a massive um vertical focus on clean, clean energy, clean tech, climate tech, I guess. And so the Tufta network actually has about 180 bases. So if you think of um, a startup hub in like Stone and Chalk, et cetera, they might have a base in you know Melbourne, Sydney, Adelaide. I don't even know they're in Brizzy, but um, yeah. however, these guys do that at a scale. So they're in yeah 100 plus cities in China. They're in as uh, uh, Indonesia, Singapore, Malaysia, Thailand, Hong Kong, uh, Cambridge in the UK. Canada, US, yeah, okay, and so, um, so they have an ecosystem there where I can I can learn about what's going on in different industry sectors, but also see what's missing and what's needed. Mm -hmm. And so, my approach, I guess, even through COVID, was it's it, it's a it's not like Austrade's a different beast, but I'm. I basically target deal flow and target um, opportunities and relationships and, and have been doing those introductions for the last six years. Yeah, sure. And certainly there hasn't been a um, an appetite for either side to uh, hold hands and, and, and to promote themselves. However, um, post-COVID, I've been up in Singapore three, four times this year. We've got a, Tustar, I've got a great base up there, a partnership with the Singapore government. And so we've been focusing on being a bridge underneath this recently announced green economy agreement between Australia and Singapore. So, yeah. So we just launched last week at the impact X climate conference, a, a partnership agreement with investable VCs, greenhouse hub, clean tech hub up in Sydney. 
and we'll be running programs for Australia and uh, Singapore green economy agreement solution. So uh, really an activation platform um, to, uh, to help commercialize some of those opportunities. That's huge. Congrats. Unreal. Yeah, mate. It is. It's, uh, uh, you know, I've, I've learned to be patient and, uh, and, and also not to, not to push. So it's been, um, it's been a great relationship under the radar. Yeah. However, it, it needed the, the timing to be right, to sort of elevate it and, and a partner. Like I can't, um, you know, I've, I've, been involved with most of the innovation ecosystem around Australia for the last few years, and and uh, as I said, I cherry pick who I talk to and who I take into market. But um, I need a partner like Investable, and and this greenhouse hub is actually a partnership with the City of Sydney. They've given them three floors in this massive new building down the end of George Street at Circular Quay, and sure. it's a part of the City of Sydney's commitment to build up their. Um, uh, sustainability commitments for you know Australia and and the city, of course. Yeah, sure. Um, mm. You know, one of the, one of the things that sits behind Seventeen X, for you know, for me when I set all this up was around how we can engage more of, of Australian companies to adopt whether it's their global goals. You know, obviously they're they're our framework that we work towards, but if it's not the global goals, at least some sort of sustainable focus within their operations. Because I think here in Australia we're just we're a bit behind the eight ball collectively. Um, oh, great, our, yeah. You know, our, our Brisbane event, one of our speakers shared that in a recent, I think it was a a, um, a study out of uh, possibly Norway or, or one of the Scandinavian countries um, polling, uh, you know, uh, all, all, all countries in their progress towards the SDGs and Australia sat at 38, right? Um, yeah, yeah. No, and, and my personal observation of that is it's, it's, we are we're behind yeah. not just with SDGs, but our engagement with the UN and um, and all of those global because we're we're just a long way away and we're we're pretty you know she'll be right mate yeah. type of uh, economy and we've got enough challenges not dealing with our own uh, development goals with our indigenous community, let alone um, really having a deep engagement with from the, some of the SDGs, but, um, and this is part of what I'm trying to do. So the Tuftar uh, are a partner with um, the Youth Collab with uh, Sustainable Development Goals. So, yeah, cool. um, so they've been actively running programs the last few years. The, the, um, the guys that actually run Tuftar ASEAN, the, um, the regional partners that I'm, the, one of them, Ravenna Chen was in, Australia last week for Impact X. She's she's a UN ambassador, a youth ambassador, and um, also a partner with uh, CoLab, uh, which is an SDG focus uh, yeah. incubator. And and so this is again, it's about as you identified. We need to raise that awareness and that um, like hopefully discomfort, but then. Where where are the bridges? How do we actually participate efficiently with that? And there'll be a few people inside DFAT or Department of Climate Change and Energy going, well, we are active. And yes, there is a UN uh, 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 representation here, but we're not involved in those programs as heavily as 
you know, those, whether they be African, um, South American or ASEAN countries are. Yeah, sure. So in your, like in your travels, when you, you've obviously spent a lot of time in that Asian region um, for years, when you're looking at some of what's going on in, in some of these other countries, like who's doing it well and what are some of the things that you've seen? Like if you're looking at clean tech or, or any of the companies that you've got an insight into through Tustar, um, yeah. Yeah. What have you seen? Look, right now, Malaysia is actually surprisingly advanced in some of the entrepreneurial side of things. Mm-hmm. And um, I'll, I will will back to China at scale, but Look, they're all all behind. So when I was with Solco, the Australian company, we that had the solar pump. So we were actually um, they um, they were in um, New Guinea. So we we were doing projects in New Guinea, yeah. uh, helping giving uh, communities access to water. So the solar pumping innovation of clean tech was actually an Australian drive. There was there's now again dozens of manufacturers that we ended up being a importer and distributor of a German uh, designed DC pump, but um, those those Australian pumps are still working and, and it's still a big area for, when you think a couple of um, a couple of solar panels stuck on a pole can pull water out of the ground and, um, and provide a water for community. So it's those simple things, but the economics aren't there the same as there are for digging up a few gazillion tons of coal and sticking them in boats and shipping. So so for me, it was always about how do you, um, you know, this distributed model of empowering communities. And so what's what's happening now is that the, the green economy, you know, green finance, supporting green development projects and empowering communities to actually have a clip of it themselves. So they're empowering themselves with their wealth creation. Yep enabling them to produce uh, products. And then you add to that now digital economy where they can actually post and, um, and sell their products online to global markets. So all of these things are coming together now, which is giving these regional communities um, empowerment that they've never had before because it's always been, you know, the white guys at the big end of town that are controlling things. So. Um, so I, yeah, I, I see a huge amount of um, change happening just in the last, just, you know, COVID's driven that a lot. Yeah. But, um, and there was some great Indigenous entrepreneurs uh, present at Impact X last week, and it was just incredible to hear their stories, both from accessing some of the capital that they have within their trusts and allocating that to some projects locally. Yeah, but uh, but certainly their their awareness and enthusiasm, uh, particularly again through the Tustar network, to tap into some of those uh, regional markets and say, well, hey, we we can get a piece of this ourselves and not have to wait for um, someone to turn up and help us. So so yeah, th- there's there's a huge amount. Indonesia itself, I went there in 2019 again trying to flog a few solar pumps, but. Um, the uh, the network, the grid was shocking. Everything there was a lot of brownouts, and and politically, economically, their whole focus was on coal. So yeah. there was no incentives for solar. Um, fast forward to last month, and you've got the president of Indonesia standing up saying we're going to be a green economy leader. 
we want Tesla to build factories here. We want China to build battery factories here. And, and you know, this is what I'm, I'm, I was saying before about this is Australia has um, a chance of missing out on this green economy because we're not, we're still thinking that we can replace coal by filling ships full of supposedly green hydrogen and thinking that we're an export country and that's that. Whereas everyone else is moving into this digital economy and advanced manufacturing and building up the um, retraining and um, the knowledge economy around that. And, and I, yeah, I, I think Australia is going to wake up uh, in a bit of shock uh, by 2030 and we might be needing help from a few of those countries for our... Uh, <laughs> Well, what's the barrier that you're seeing in that making those decisions not to play in that sandpit? Ah, uh, oh, look, it's there's a whole bunch of things like, um, but it, it's just a bit of DNA. I, we we've we had a manufacturing industry yeah. with um, well, if you go back to all the white goods um, era, um, certainly in South Australia where I am, that was that was a big driver of the Playford era and that, but that that whole boomer consumer world uh, had its economics and and the you know the government sold themselves on their funding of those and and automotive in victoria and um and i guess you've got you know coal and um associated industries in um in new south wales and queensland and no i'm not forgetting wa but um but look the the dollars to jobs economics ratio doesn't work yeah. anymore so i that's why again i'm focusing on wealth creation if you could have one person here like Canberra build a billion dollar company that's creating wealth and then that capital gets allocated. Mm-hmm. We we seem to have lost the value. If you look at the EV sector, um, we sold 20,000 EVs last year and there was, I don't know, um, a few million sold uh, and half of those were in China. That that industry didn't exist 10 years ago and it's no, it's not magic, it's just policy settings and commitment. And so we're looking at the fear factor of them controlling a, a supply chain when in actually we should be saying, hey, uh, you know how to build factories fast. How about you whack one here in Australia where we've got all these minerals? And so it's it's just a maturity of uh, our economic policy planning, I think. And, and the fact that we've got through the last, you know, 10, 20, 15 years of tumultuous uh, global GDP with um, flogging uh, iron ore and oil and, and coal and gas. So, so we haven't had uh, pain exposure to uh, to having you know challenges to our economy. So I don't know. I, I think it, we will adapt. We'll we will get there, but I don't I don't see it at a state or a federal level at the moment. Yeah, sure. Um, so like moving moving along into the future, obviously uh, with Green Gold, you've got this great relationship with Tustar that you're kind of growing, um, looking at more, I think you know, I love the, the, the migrant engagement innovation. Uh, what's, what's the next few years mm. for Green Gold? Do you see you just kind of scaling out that plan and, and creating more more of those relationships between you know, yeah. Australian and international clients. Yeah, absolutely. And and so Australia's done really well with its uh, growth of its 
what you call, I guess, the innovation ecosystem. Yeah. A lot of the, uh, all most of the venture capital has come in from US. So 80, 90 percent of um, the growth of the funds in Australia have come from relationships uh, in the US. And so most of the technology has been um, influenced and or supported to exit into that market. And it's a great booming market. And with the recent Inflation Adjustment Act, um, Reduction Act, there's going to be huge growth in um, clean tech in in um, in the US. So, so I'm not denying that because, again, once you socialise and understand the scale of the tra industrial transformation change that has to happen, mm. you know, like 10x times uh, renewables and storage and the innovation that needs, needs around that, I'm completely bullish that there's a bunch of opportunities for, uh, as I said, both local domestic manufacturing, uh, but also these great new, in, great innovations that Australia's historically been very uh, good at. Our, our dilemma is that we have lost that, what's called the industrial commercialization vertical. So the ability for someone to produce something at an early stage, get it a proof of concept or uh, a commercial readiness level, and then to exit out through the layers of industry that's in, in the local um, economy. And so now we have to go into overseas markets to do that. And to do that, you need help. You need smart capital and you need um, market knowledge or empathy. So, so how to deal with those markets. So I'm again, I'm, I think there's going to be tremendous success for Australian technologies into the US market, into Europe. Um, but hell, 35% of you know global growth is coming out of the region to our west, and and we're not engaging with them. And so, the the venture funds that are in Singapore aren't looking at Australia. We're pretty small. We're pretty slow, and uh, they'll wait for the right ones to pop up and be in market. So, so. Um, the sleeper, I guess, is is to work with those guys that have been here, you know, whether they be Singapore, Malaysian, Indonesian, Chinese, Australians, been here 10 years, got their kids going to private school, got a bit of coin, want to invest in something. Yeah. If there's a way of us structuring those deals that, you know, you Aussies can go and um, uh, live it up in the west coast of the US and and, and commercialise, but hey, let's let's build a a partnership here in Australia and let's build a an Asian link to that uh, commercialization of that technology. So yeah. very much still about Australian companies growing Australian uh, businesses and building and growing uh, the Australian economy. Yeah. But how do you how do you effectively um drop into those those markets and um and work with those relationships and um networks that those migrants have. And so through Tufta, uh, Green Gold Ventures can, I guess, have a toe either side. We'll have, we've got a fund here, we've got a fund in Singapore, and it's about working with networks here and there. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot to do with also the, the uh, training and development of the, the, the business team that's working on that. So there's, you know, there's certainly curated programs that will be running locally. Um, and and then on the in the international markets, it's really working with uh, venture partners 
and commercialization partners in those areas um, to help bring that success. So again, I'm I'm not in a rush with it because of, as I mentioned before, just being aware of the scale of the transformation, but also having an innate confidence in not just human nature, but um, in the entrepreneurial spirit of those migrants to actually want to make something happen. So, uh, so yeah, there's that, and this is Australia's role, I think, in um, in addressing the the goals, which is what Seventeen X is all about, mate. Exactly. Um, you're mentioning here a lot about companies to companies across borders, um, engaging innovation, you know, growing growing wealth. Uh, what what role do you see, or how and how do you go about? engaging the governments to come and play in this at the same time and engage with these private companies. Is, is that something that you're doing as well? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we, uh, I, I took up a group in um, August to Singapore, which was supported by um, some federal government programs. So there's a thing called the Innovation Export Hub that was supported by the federal government and then uh, worked with uh, Austrade team in Singapore and uh, but also we we built our own program up with the relationships that we had within the Singapore government, the university network, the VC network, and and the the, the companies there. So uh, so that's an example of um, you know uh, working with government. But, but Austrade do a great job, and and as I guess um, within the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade, Austrade is the trade and investment arm with couple of thousand bods all around the world uh, promoting Australian product. Now, historically, their approach has been, well, if you're flogging apples, we'll help you find a you know, warehouse and a, and a supermarket to flog those apples. So that's uh, the Australian way is stick it in a box and ship it. Yeah. And then the Austrade role is to be, that's an oversimplified yeah, yeah, role. Yeah. They're also promoting Aussie, investment. In, <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. yeah. And, and they're also promoting investment in Australia, um, yeah. but they're doing it as soon as you come at it from the lens that they're in, their worldview is that they're a government department and they're selling government policy and they're selling government rhetoric. And so when you get into the consumer markets of what's happened with the digital economy and, and e-commerce and there's a whole, you know, that that's a whole different world they do facilitate education around that but they can't execute and so they need partners in market so again Tusta runs a whole cross-border e-commerce business unit so uh, that's another story for another day but um so and the same thing investment so what they can do they can host events and they can bring people together but they're not they don't run venture funds they don't get involved in any um uh, in any way, the recommendation or the suggestion of something being a good thing to invest in. So they need delivery partners to uh, not only curate and prepare those companies before they go into market, but then um, to work with those investment partners, commercialization partners in market um, to, I guess, improve our competitiveness uh, within the alternative or options of what they're looking at. So, um, so yeah, that that's really what um, we see the partnership being is. Um, <clears throat> personally, I've been approaching those state governments and Austrade in Australia 
because I feel that there's a real knowledge gap. So the first thing we're trying to do with some of the Tata programs is plug in to, to educate people about what the hell is happening. You know, what is the policy settings in Shandong and how come they've just doubled the global install capacity of offshore wind farm in six months? Where did that come from? You know, yeah, right. what are the opportunities for Australia? Um, oh, by the way, we've just opened up our offshore wind um, regulatory environment in Australia and um, how do we work together? So there's an education role there, which I think Austrade has a job to do to educate and to fund and support the distribution of that knowledge. But at a commercial level, they don't want to get involved with and they can't really influence an investment panel in a, in a venture fund. Um, but they can certainly... Um, highlight the fact that there's these great technologies in Australia that are in market and are looking for um, commercialization partners. So, so yeah, there, there's a real strong partnership, and I've I've been very closely involved with that. With a, a different hat I have on as um, I'm on the national board of the Australia China Business Council and um, and chair of their Net Zero Working Group. So we've been we've been addressing. Um, in our advocacy role, I guess the official role is yep. um, uh, that opportunity. So, yeah, right, mate. You're wearing a lot of hats. Um, so, we've got you on the stage at 17X. Um, yes, mate, super grateful to have you joining us on uh, this yeah. week coming up. So, um, uh, it's I guess short notice for anyone listening to this podcast, as this will go out just before the event. But, um, mate, what can we expect on stage on uh, on Thursday night, mate? Well, I, I'm actually going to tweak a, th a few things based on a couple of uh, bits of observation from this chat. So, I, look, I'm just really supportive of your the work that you've been doing nationally to, as you said, uh, raise the awareness of the SDGs and and engagement with uh, business for these you know sustainable development goals. But the community in Adelaide, I've been involved with um, for. 15 years in the environment sustainability sort of uh, yeah. capacity. I think there'll be a um, uh, a good turnout there of uh, not just some, you know, old faces and friendlies, but some some fresh new faces and people that are really keen to make a difference. And certainly that's what I've picked up from your energy with what you've been doing nationally is you're able to bring out this breed of activists that are really just doing things and not just uh hopping on a plane and sitting in egypt yeah 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 no look we that's what we want we uh we want to we want to help people get things done so i yeah hats off to you mate and uh really looking forward to it and come on adelaide yeah absolutely yeah this this whole thing is about uh you know i i, I continue and this comes up a lot on podcasts and in lots of my conversations, it's this whole collaboration over competition and the opportunity, I think, that you can create simply by bringing a bunch of like-minded individuals together that are playing for a we rather than an I. And like you say, they're out there just doing it, yeah? And, and there's plenty of people that I've knocked on the door to say, hey, come and speak at 17X. They don't call themselves a social enterprise or they don't call themselves, a, you know, an impact business. Yeah. or they're just, they're just a business in their mind, yeah. but they're just doing things a little bit kind of better yeah. <laughs> so yeah. and 
as yeah. I said, because there's just so much that has to be done, and oh, and we're absolutely. we're behind the uh, the curve right now. We got to double down. I'm afraid. So, absolutely. Well, come on, Adelaide. So, um, mate, uh, it's been great to chat with you. We're going to have to wrap up. If yep. um if anyone listening to this um you know before or, or certainly you know down the track after our events, um and they want to get in touch with you and understand either more about what you do or or potentially partner or do some work with you, what's the yep. best way to connect? Yeah, look, I uh, I'll probably push the Tusta profile. So Anthony at tusta.com.au and cool. and have a look at the tusta.com.au website. It it's um really provides a entry level introduction to the global network but happy to chat with anyone that's that's really about uh, innovation commercialization and, and access to overseas markets but um i've yeah most people around town would know me have been pushing this bandwagon for a while and yeah. um, i'm just really keen to um help others and and as i mentioned at the head look my my personal approach is uh you know, to balance the drive for change and to, you know, make the world a better place with the, the nurturing and the support for yourself and for your, your your family around you. So so that's really what I've been focusing on with my mentoring work. So I'd be really, really keen to uh, offer some support for people that are feeling that there's a bit of uh, pressure on them about what, you know, the overwhelm of what has to happen and the ability to, to make a difference. So it is a daily uh, exercise to manage that, but it certainly, you know, I feel that I've got a good example of uh, what re resilience can do Absolutely. and uh, really keen to support and help those, yeah, entrepreneurs with a desire to make a difference. I love it. You know, I think um, it's a pretty powerful combination of both, you know, professional experience and then lived experience in beside that and it all encompassing. So, Mate, I'll probably knock on your door for a bit of that mentoring. <laughs> <laughs> Take it where you get it. Um, but, mate, look, it's been fascinating to delve a bit further into Green Gold and what you're up to with Tustar and everything. Yeah. I think, um, you know, the future of our, you know, I think the future of humans in general, you know, it doesn't matter where you come from, is is relying on partnerships. So yeah. um, fascinated to see what you create in the next few years with um, these partnerships all over the world, mate. Love what you're doing. Mate, good to have you a part of it. Cheers. Well, that's it for today's episode. Thanks so much for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe wherever you are listening so that you can stay up to date with our future episodes. And now it's time to jump over to our website, 17sdg.com, that's 17 the word, to see when we are coming to your city with our 17x speaking event that's touring Australia in 2022. We're coming back to the stage in every major city in this country to put social innovators, change makers and leaders on stage to share with us in their keynote how they're using their business, their brands, their products and their people as a force for good in the world for the 2030 agenda. We can't do this stuff alone. We need you in the room. I really hope to see you there. But for now, go out and create some impact and enjoy great things.